Last summer, my family and I took a camping trip to Yellowstone National Park. We thoroughly enjoyed our visit. Here's a selfie that we took. We were waiting for a geyser to go off, and I said, hey, let's grab a quick selfie, and it went off right as I was taking it. Obviously, Ezra was the only one to see the geyser. Um, We did, though, see Old Faithful. We did see Lake Yellowstone, the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone, plenty of bison, one bear, an elk outside our tent in the morning. But there is one memory that will be unforgettable. On the first night that we were there, we were awoken in the middle of the night to the sound of our daughter vomiting. The camp food, the campfire s'mores had not settled well with her, and she vomited it all up. So Rachel took our daughter to the bathroom to clean her up, and I proceeded by the light of a headlamp to use the one packet of disinfectant wipes we had to try and remove the vomit from our tent. And it had gone all over her sleeping bag. It was unsalvageable. I just threw it in a trash bag, put it in the roof box on top of the car, And I tell you, I will never forget that moment. And I'll never forget to bring a spare sleeping bag the next time we go camping. Evelyn was just fine in the end. She was okay. We all make sacrifices for our children, am I right? And as hard as those sacrifices can be, we believe those sacrifices are worth it. Even if it means cleaning up sick in the middle of the night with a headlamp on with disinfectant wipes on a camping trip. We make sacrifices for our kids because we believe our kids are worth those sacrifices. My name's Ellis. I'm one of the pastors here at Chapel Hill. It's wonderful to be with you here on this Youth Sunday. Every year we take the opportunity to celebrate the next generation and invite them to lead us in worship. And when we say thank you to the uh, next-gen leaders who are leading us this morning... We're continuing in our DNA series talking about what makes Chapel Hill, Chapel Hill. We think there are nine pieces of Chapel Hill DNA split into three groups of three, a head group, a heart group, and a hands group. What we believe, how we behave, and what we do. Last week, Pastor Mark kicked off that hands group by talking about how we honor our legacy. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to hear about how we serve our neighbors. But today, I'm going to be talking about this piece of Chapel Hill DNA. We mobilize the next generation. Forty years ago tomorrow, a man in his mid-twenties stood in front of the congregation of First Presbyterian Church, Bakersfield, California, and took vows to be ordained and installed as their youth pastor. And over the last 40 years, this man has done ministry with youth and adults. He's done ministry in a small church that turned into a large church, and he's been used by God to faithfully draw many to Jesus to minister God's love to those who need it, and to help people grow in their faith. But I believe the biggest impact this man has had in the last 40 years is in mobilizing the next generation, in not only making sure that they know God's ways, but equipping them and releasing them, mobilizing them to tell God's ways to the coming generations. And if you hadn't guessed by now, That man who is tomorrow celebrating the 40th anniversary of his ordination is our senior pastor, Mark Toon.
You know, Pastor Mark has really lived out this piece of Chapel Hill DNA in his every breath, and he's created a culture here at Chapel Hill that seeks to do the same. He mentioned it last week, but under his leadership, 21 pastors have been sent out to other churches. Isn't that awesome? He's mobilized the next generation through men and women like Jeremy Vaccaro, who's the pastor of First Pres Fresno, through Megan and Larry Hackman, who are the pastors of our church plant, Kitsap House in Port Orchard, and many, many others. And, and not only has he sent people, but he's raised up people on his own staff team. There are, there are four pastors other than Pastor Mark on our staff, and every single one of us is 40 and under. And that is a result of Pastor Mark's commitment to mobilizing the next generation. That's our, that's our culture. That's our DNA here at Chapel Hill. We have this phrase, head on a swivel. We're always looking around to see who it is that we can push into the place of ministry and mobilize them to do the work of ministering to others. We mobilize the next generation. And this week, as I studied and prepared for this message, I looked at many instances in the Bible where it talks about passing on our faith to the next generation. But I was drawn to Psalm 78. And if you want to this morning, you can grab a Bible from in front of you. And if you turn to page 488, 488, yeah, okay, we're getting another round of applause for the Bibles. Um, you can turn to page 488 and you'll find Psalm 78 there. So the Psalms, they're uh, the songbook of the Bible. For centuries, the church has sung these songs in worship. Jesus would have sung these songs in worship too. And Psalm 78 is a song all about the mighty works of God in the past. But it opens, the first eight verses of Psalm 78 are an introduction to the Psalm where they talk about the importance of passing on that legacy of God's works by telling his works to the coming generation. So I'm going to read those first eight verses of Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we've heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When my first child, Evelyn, was born, I, I remember uh, a moment. We were in the hospital. She was lying on my lap, and I was reading the Bible. I, I snapped a picture of it because it was a really significant moment for me. I, I began to ask myself the question, what do I really want for Evelyn? What do I really want for her? Do I want her to be happy? Yeah, sure. Do I want her to have every opportunity that I can afford to her? Yes, of course. Do I want her to know Jesus' love for her? Absolutely. But what do I really, really want for this firstborn of mine? And as I began to reflect, I felt this deep sense of conviction that I not only wanted her to know about Jesus, but I want her to tell others 
about Jesus. Not only did I want her to be a disciple of Jesus, but I wanted her to be a disciple maker for Jesus. What does it mean to mobilize the next generation? Well, I think it's just that. And I think Psalm 78 tells us that in verse 6. It shows us two things which characterize a mobilized next generation. A mobilized next generation knows God's ways and they tell God's ways. Let's take a look together. We're going to go back. I'll read verse 5 and 6. You can follow along. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. Why? So that the next generation might know them, that is, they'd know God's ways, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Know and tell. Here's what I think is important. And that I want to draw out of this passage as it pertains to this piece of Chapel Hill DNA about how we mobilize the next generation. It would be so easy to just focus on the first one of those things. It would be so easy to just focus on making sure that the next generation know God's ways, that they know Jesus' love, they know the gospel, they know the truths about God, they know about the Bible, they know about prayer. It would be so easy to focus on imparting knowledge to them. But if we only did that, we would not mobilize the next generation. This passage tells us there are two things that characterize and mobilize next generation. They must know God's ways, but then they must also tell God's ways. If we only stopped at them knowing God's ways, we would not have mobilized them to pass on that legacy of faith to the following generation. Just like with my daughter, as I sat there in the hospital, And I had this realization, I don't just want her to be a disciple of Jesus. Yeah, I do, but I want her to be a disciple maker for Jesus. I don't just want her to know God's ways. I want her to tell God's ways. So when we say we mobilize the next generation, that's what we mean. Not just that they would know God's ways, but that they would tell God's ways as well. That's what I experienced in my life. One of the most significant experiences I had as a high schooler was a trip I took with my youth group to Kenya. Every day we would split up into groups of five or six students with one adult leader, and we would go and we would minister to those who'd been affected by the HIV AIDS epidemic. We would share scriptures with them, we'd pray over them, we'd maybe share a song with them. Some days we'd be visiting people in their homes who were sick. Some days we'd be visiting widows groups or orphans groups. Some days we'd be visiting schools. But here's the thing that sticks out to me the most from that trip. The ones who were actually doing the work of ministry, the ones who were actually sharing scriptures, the ones who were actually praying, the ones who were actually sharing words of encouragement were not the adult leaders, but they were the high school students. It was me. It was me who was being mobilized by my adult leader, thrust into a position where I was forced, practically, to tell God's works and God's ways and minister to the people who were in front of me. Those adult leaders really got what it means to mobilize the next generation. At Chapel Hill, we do just that. We mobilize the next generation. But here's the thing about mobilizing the next generation. It costs the current generation something. The current generation 
has to make sacrifices in order that the next generation might be mobilized. Jesus told a story about old wine and new wine. In the first century, they stored wine in wineskins. Wineskins were just animal leathers that had been cleaned, tanned, and turned inside out. And over time, the wineskin would begin to lose its suppleness and flexibility as it aged. And that was fine, so long as you just used it to store old wine. But if you put new wine in an old wineskin, you would have a problem. New wine was continuing to ferment. It was continuing to release gases that created pressure on the wineskin. And if the wineskin was new and it was supple and it could stretch, then that would be fine. But if the wineskin was old and brittle, those gases from the new wine would put enough pressure on the old wineskin that it would break. And in that process, both the wineskin and the wine would be lost. Now, in the same way, our next generation are still fermenting, so to speak. They're still releasing some smelly gases <laughs> as they mature. And when we mobilize them, when we put them into positions of ministry, there are often some byproducts that get released. And those byproducts can create some tension with the status quo. It can put pressure on the wineskins that they find themselves in. Uh, pastor Mark told me that when he was a youth pastor, one time he did a game of capture the flag with his youth group, part of uh, the youth ministry he was doing, and he decided it would be fun to reach out to someone he knew who was a Vietnam Cobra helicopter pilot and have him fly his helicopter over the students and drop flower bombs on them. At the same time, he put explosives into the ground that went off and created these explosions around the students just to give them a little scare. Now, I would say that was a bit of a byproduct of the new wine that Pastor Mark was seeking to create as a student pastor, wouldn't you? Well, how do you think the elder board of that proper Presbyterian church responded to this new wine? Yes, not very well, I have to say. The new wine was releasing some byproducts that were causing stress and tension on the old wineskins of that Presbyterian church. And that is the reality of mobilizing the next generation. There are some side effects to letting these young people do the work of ministry. And so what is required of us who are trying to mobilize the next generation? Well, we need to give them new wineskins rather than the old ones. We need to give them environments which are stretchy, which can accommodate the fact that there are going to be byproducts released. We don't need to pin them down with systems and structures that are brittle and inflexible, but we need to allow them to breathe and expand and do what God is calling them to do without putting them in positions where they're going to damage the structures around them. And sometimes, sometimes that means we need to let go of some things in order that they might be mobilized for ministry. My son, Ezra, uh, he, his grandfathers live in the UK, and uh, we're really privileged that we have some adopted grandfathers who uh, 
spend time with him here in, in the US. And one time he was out for ice cream with one of his adopted grandfathers. And his adopted grandfather said to him, what do you like doing with your dad? And uh, Ezra said to him, well, I like playing Minecraft with him. If you don't know what Minecraft is, it's a video game. You mine the world in order to craft the materials necessary for survival. Mine, craft, get it? Simple, right? Anyway, Ezra said he loved playing Minecraft. And this adopted grandfather said to him, well, does your dad like Minecraft? And Ezra said, no, he hates it. <laughs> but he loves me. And it's true, I hate Minecraft, <laughs> but I love my son. And when it comes to mobilizing the next generation, we might love some different things to what they love. We might love our traditions, say, but we need to love our kids more. We might love our systems, our structures, but we must choose to love our kids more. We might have our preferences, but we must choose to love our kids more. And we have a God who was not unwilling to do that for his children. Jesus, the Son of God himself, sacrificed his status in heaven and came to earth, took on human flesh, walked among us, lived the lives that we live, experienced the suffering and the pain that is the reality of this world so that we might know that he loves us. And ultimately, he sacrificed his very life for us on the cross. He died the death that we alone deserve to die so that we might live the life that he alone deserved to live. Jesus gave up everything for us. And if Jesus can give up everything for us, what might we be willing to give up that the next generation might know Jesus' love and might be empowered and mobilized to tell Jesus' love to others? I know some of you who attend this service on a regular basis, you don't do so because you love the music or the volume level, but you have given up that preference because you want to see the next generation mobilized. And as a church, we do this sort of thing again and again and again. I'm not sure I'm going to ever fully comprehend the sacrifices Pastor Mark has made in order to have such a young team working with him. But I do know this. I'm personally responsible for several of Pastor Mark's gray hairs. <laughs> Earlier this year, I, I attended the Alpha Conference, and one of the speakers who works for a national institute studying best practices in youth ministry shared about a church they'd gone in to survey. They, they interviewed a number of students to try and understand what was going really well in this youth ministry. And these students kept telling them about a guy named Bill. They kept hearing things like, Bill is awesome. I love Bill. Bill comes to all my games. Bill is the man. And so they went and they sat down with the youth pastor of this church, and they discovered that the youth pastor's name was not Bill. And so they said to him, who is Bill? Everyone is talking about Bill. Well, it turns out that Bill was a member of this church who had vowed that every kid would have someone cheering them on. And so he found out when the kids of his church were playing their sports games, and he just started showing up. He started cheering them on from the sidelines. He championed them. He sacrificed his time for their sake. But here's what's most amazing about Bill. 
Bill is over 70 years old. Here's a picture of him. And you know, Bill doesn't connect with the kids because he's up on the latest trends. Do you know how I know that? Because when they surveyed him, he faxed his responses from the local public library. <laughs> These kids knew that Bill loved them, not because he was cool or hip or trendy, but because he was willing to sacrifice something he did have for their sake. And so this morning, here's a challenge for every single one of us. Be like Bill. Everyone say that with me. Be like Bill. Be willing to sacrifice for the next generation. Be willing to give of your time, your talents, talents and your treasures that the next generation might be mobilized. Be willing to let go of some of the things that you love that the next generation might know your love. Be like Bill. And what might that look like? Well, if you have children at home or you have grandchildren or great-grandchildren, it starts with your family. Parents, you might have heard Paul Hargreaves, our student ministries director, say this, but if not, I've heard him say it enough times. Parents, you are the primary disciple-makers in your kids' lives. It is not the church's responsibility to disciple your kids. Parents, you are the primary disciple-makers in your kids' lives. So take that calling seriously. Read the Bible with them. Pray with them. Share about how God is at work in your life with them. Ask them where they see God at work in their life. Bring them to church and encourage them to start serving in church. Bring them along with you to a furniture bank build. Bring them along with you to serve as we, we work alongside World Relief serving refugees. Show them what it means to love Jesus know Jesus and to tell others about Jesus. You know, a really easy way if you're struggling to know, how, how do I even do this? We have this app called the Parent Q app. It goes right alongside the things that our kids are learning in kids worship every week. I'd love you to download that. Parents, right now, grab your phone, type Parent Q into your app store, download the app, and then later on you can set it up. It gives you cues, prompts, for you to talk to your children as you go about your week about the things that they are learning. So as parents, grandparents, you do not know the potential that you have to influence your grandkids' lives. It's huge. You have the potential. There are so many stories of people whose parents don't know the Lord, but their grandparents do. I was just listening to a grandparent tell me one this morning. Her, she's moved to be nearer to her grandchildren. They show up in the community. Her kids don't know the Lord, but her grandkid does, and her grandkid says, hey, Granny, I think you should go to this church. It's where I go. I think you'd love it. That's the influence of grandparents on kids' lives, and grandparents, you can have that influence on your grandkids' lives. What might that look like for you? How could you be engaged in your grandkids' spiritual journey? So if you have kids at home, kids in your family, that's where it starts. And whether you do or you don't, we've got a church full of kids. Our elementary kids ministry has more uh, children in it now than it did before the pandemic. And as you just heard, our middle school ministry had 99 kids last week. Here's what I want us to be praying for the 100th kid to show up this Wednesday on their final night of ministry for this year. We've got a church full of kids, and there are so many different ways you can be like Bill. 
Many of you are already doing it. In fact, our seniors ministry, we call it Cornerstones, they've committed to praying for and writing to our high schoolers every single month. There's a life group in this church who has said that they want to adopt a student for whom they can pray for and attend games and events so they can be like Bill. Maybe your life group wants to do the same thing. And we've got countless men and women who volunteer to serve in our children's ministry and students' ministry, and they do all sorts of things, whether it's spending time with the kids in small group discussions, or, it's, or maybe it's working behind the scenes in a variety of ways, like preparing food or preparing content. There are so many different ways that you can engage in our kids' and students' ministries. You don't have to necessarily interact with the kids. I know that scares some of you. It scares me sometimes. Next month, we're going to be hosting more than 150 kids for our vacation Bible school. And there are a lot of spots left for you to serve. A real easy way to be like Bill would be to go to the guide and to sign up to serve at Vacation Bible School and join many, many others who are going to be doing that next month. So, at Chapel Hill, we mobilize the next generation. We want to see a generation who not only know God's ways, but they also tell God's ways. That's what it means to be mobilized. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to mobilize them, it's going to require us to sacrifice some things. But nowhere near as much as what Jesus sacrificed for us. And nevertheless, we need to catch a glimpse of that heart of sacrifice. And so I would encourage every single one of us to be like Bill. Say that one more time. Be like Bill. Be willing to give up something that you love. You know, Bill could have been playing golf. Bill could have been hanging out with his friends at Starbucks, drinking coffee. Bill could have been at home watching TV or gardening, but Bill sacrificed those things so that every kid would know that they had someone in their corner who was cheering them on. Be like Bill. Give up something of what you love so that the next generation might know your love and Christ's love to them. If you've got kids or grandkids, it starts at home. Begin there. But we have so many opportunities for you to serve the next generation of this church. So I'd encourage you to engage in some way that our legacy of faith, this faith that's been passed on to us, been passed down from generation to generation to generation, it might not die out with this generation but we might pass on that legacy to the next generation who will pass it on to the next generation to the next generation. That is why we mobilize the next generation. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you did not remain distant from us. That God, you did not remain comfortable in your heavenly dwelling. But you took on flesh in the person of your son, Jesus. You came and lived amongst us. You sacrificed comfort and lived in discomfort so that we might know your love. And more than that, you gave everything for us. You took upon yourself the consequences of our stubbornness, of our sin. You died the death we deserve to die. You gave everything for love. 
because of that, we now receive the gift of your Holy Spirit, which empowers us to sacrifice for others. And in particular this morning, we choose to sacrifice for that next generation. God, speak to us right now. Tell us what is the one thing that you're calling us to do to mobilize the next generation? Maybe it's in our family, with our kids, our grandkids, great-grandkids. Maybe it's in the church. Would you place upon our hearts what that is? And by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you call us to be willing to sacrifice, to give up some of what we love so that the next generation might know your love for them and might tell your love for them. We know all things are possible in and through Jesus. And so we look to you. You have not failed your church through the generations, but that legacy of faith is passed on from generation to generation to generation. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. And so we place our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ this morning. In his name we pray. Hi there. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.